We're going to begin our journey tonight through the Word of God in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 16. Thank you for those of you that have joined us every week uh, for our Focus 52 chapter. We're very, very grateful for that, and I want to say thank you to my mother for carrying that uh, weight every week, writing the devotionals. I certainly do appreciate that. I love, I love being together in the Word of God. Um, tonight's going to be just a little bit different uh, approach to the, the chapter this week, and um, I want you to just kind of hang with me tonight. We're going to talk some, some word. We're going to talk a little bit of history, and uh, I believe God wants to speak to us in this place tonight. I've had some things heavy on my heart, and uh, God's going to help us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, I want you to go with me to Jeremiah chapter 16. We're going to read. Uh, we're going to read verse twenty and twenty-one. The closing of this chapter, and I want to say tonight that I'm so very thankful for this church family for your faithfulness. I want you to look at this Wednesday night. Amen. Thank you for being here. Praise God. I want to tell you that I'm also very grateful tonight for all of our guests that have gathered with us here and online. We welcome you and thank you for being with us tonight. Amen. We had. A very blessed weekend here. Uh, this past weekend, it was fantastic, and I expect nothing less this coming weekend. It's going to be uh, wonderful. God's going to meet us here. It has been such a pleasure to have my mother-in-law in town the last few days, and uh, I love her and appreciate her. Amen. Very, very thankful. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse 20. If you're there, say amen. amen. Praise God. 16 and 20. Great question posed here. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Amen. Someone say amen to the reading of the word of God. You may be seated. Tonight, for the next few moments, I just want to talk to you from a simple subject, no other God. No other God. When I say to you tonight that there is no other God, I mean this from the most convinced heart possible. That there is literally no possibility whatsoever of anything else in this world or in worlds outside of this known world to us that calls itself God or that others have called it God, there is nothing else that is God. Nothing. There is one God. He is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He is the God of the Old Testament. He is the God of the New Testament. He is the God of my testament. Whatever story that may be that's being told as I am a written epistle that men are reading, he is the God of my story. He is the God of my unfolding. He is the God of my uprising. He is the God of my down sitting. He is the God of my up days. He's the God of my down days. He's the God of my mountaintops. Are you hearing me? He's the God of my valley. He is my God. There has been a push through the ages of time, to consider the fact that perhaps we're all talking about the same God, but we're approaching Him a different way. There are different paths to God. There are different ways to God. And uh, you can call Him Allah. And you can call Him Buddha. You can call Him Hare Krishna. You can call Him whatever you prefer. But it's all the same God. Well, make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, this will not be the last that you hear of this before the coming of the Lord. Right, right. There is a push among heresy 
and heretics to join worlds together that could not be worlds further apart. I want you to write this down if you're a note taker and just be sure you put an asterisk beside it, highlight it, and however else you keep record. There is no such thing as Chrislam. I have no intention of joining myself to somebody who does not believe that my God is their God because at the end of the day, there is no other God. He is God all by himself. I like to begin Bible studies when teaching people with Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heaven and the earth. I like beginning at Genesis 1 and 1 because if you have issue with the first verse of the first chapter of the first book, the rest of our Bible study is going to become irrelevant and invaluable to you. It does not matter anymore. If you do not believe that God created the heaven and the earth all by himself and that he had no help, then the rest of our conversation is null and void. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying there is no other God. No other God. So then why is Jeremiah dealing with what he's dealing with? I don't want to, I don't want to um, stray too far off the path tonight. I want to stay pretty close. But the understanding here from Jeremiah is prophetic in thought that there's coming a day that basically all the world is going to know who he is, who God is, and that God is going to make his hand known, his power known, his might known, and they're going to know that his name is the Lord. Why is it important to you and I, as children of God, to be certain that our hearts are sealed. Now, I know for some of you, this, is, this just sounds like rhetoric. This is like some kind of redundant teaching that um, I already know this, Pastor. We already know that there's one God. I want to be sure tonight that we have a clear understanding of why it's important to us to be one God people, not just because it's good preaching. Not just because it gives you goosebumps and chill bumps and you're glad to say, yes, I'm a Christian and I worship the only God. Why is it important to us? Let's go to Exodus chapter 20, if you would join me there. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 1. Exodus 20 and verse number 1. Tonight will be the bedrock and cornerstone of the rest of this evening. Exodus 20 and verse 1. I would like for you to read this first portion with me, if you would, tonight. And God spake all these words, say. Do you know what Exodus 20 is? It's the Ten Commandments. Some say the Mosaic Law. It was not Moses that authored this. God spake these words. And he said... I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, making very clear that this is not one of the gods of the Egyptians. This is the God that brought them out of that land. Verse 3, this should be bold printed some way, somehow in your Bible. Marked up so much that you cannot even hardly read the, the letters. Let's just read this together. Thou shalt have. That is some amazing preaching right there. Who said this? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You can be seated tonight. I already took my text. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, this is the bedrock, the bedstone of why we believe what we believe. Not because Moses taught it, but because of who authored it. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Okay? This is Moses talking to them. He is telling them something that's already settled. 
This was settled in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. One God. All things created by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. All things were created by Him, for Him, through Him. Everything is God. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay, commandment one. Mark it off the list. He's all by himself. There's no other gods. Second commandment. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Thou shalt not make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Now, folks, I'm going to do my best tonight to accomplish what I came to and swim in the shallow end while doing this, but we're going to get into some deep waters, maybe. And I want to be very clear to you that the reason why the Lord wanted to be certain that his people knew it was his idea that he was by himself and only by himself is because there is a history among his creation from Adam to Abraham was less than 2,000 years. The first man, Adam, to Abraham was somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,950 years. And it's very amazing when you look at history as to what happened. Now, God spoke to Adam, did he not? Did he speak to Adam? Did God speak to Noah? Yes. Did God speak to Noah? Yes. Okay. So God speaks to Noah. Then by the time we get to Abraham, less than 2,000 years and in, in history, honestly, that's not that, that much time to literally be an, a, a, a world where the God of heaven and earth is forgotten. And the earth is literally full of idolatry. It is in the time of Nahor or Abraham's grandfather... We find that men are now no longer worshiping the creator God. But they are worshiping the created thing. They have stopped worshiping the God of all creation. And now they have come to a place where they worship the things that minister to them. They began to worship the things that God created. The sun, the moon, the stars. It was an assumption in their heart. They thought perhaps it pleased God for them to be grateful and show gratitude for the things that he had created. It was said by Maimonides, also known as the Rambam, that all idolatry started with good intentions. I want you to think about that statement. All idolatry started with good intentions. In ancient Jewish teaching, he is trying to show us that it was not God's idea that created idolatry, but rather man's idea of God that created idolatry. And it begins with understanding that men assumed it was pleasing to God for them to worship the sun because the sun gave warmth. And to worship the stars because the stars gave light. To worship the moon because it lit up the night sky. Now what's so incredible to you and I is that when we look at the moon because we have been redeemed. We don't worship the moon because the moon is not the source of the light. Nor do we worship the sun that gives off the light. But we know who took that sun and put it right where it needs to be. We know who took that moon and put it right where it needs to be. We know who took every star and slung it into space and put it exactly where it needed to be so that thousands of light years later, the light would be shining forth in the earth. Yet understanding that idolatry began by assuming things about God. And this is exactly the history of idol worship. 
assuming that you know things that God wants you to do that God really does not want you to do. There is a four-step process that I'm going to work through with you tonight. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm just going to give this to you so that it makes sense in a few moments. The four-step process of idolatry throughout history was beginning with, number one, assuming things about God. Number two, after you have assumed things about God, you imagine that God actually told you to do these things. The third thing is to believe that the idol itself that you have worshipped began to speak to you, and I will expound on these things. And last but not least, eventually over time, because the idol becomes familiar to you and you can touch it and handle it, it is the visible thing. And follow pastor right here very closely because this is the preface of where we're going tonight. Because you can touch it, feel it, handle it. If it breaks, you can fix it. The visible displaces the invisible. Why would you bother with something that you cannot see? When at least you can have something that you can touch, see, feel, handle, and control. Oh, my, my, my. That right there was the rock bottom. I wasn't anticipating that early. Idolatry was birthed out of the idea that man not only desires but will manipulate by whatever means to control everything in his world, including his God. If your God made all wood and stone and earth, then he controls all of that. But if you made your God out of wood or stone or earth, then you control it. Idolatry is the manipulation of taking what God made and making it your own and then usurping authority and power over it yet acting in false humility like rather than you ruling it, it rules you. But we all know the truth. Oh my, my. I don't want anybody running right this second now. Y'all slow down just a little bit, okay? Men assumed that it was the will of God for them to worship the things that ministered to them. So they began to worship the sun. They began to worship even angels sent from God, ministering spirits. And over time, by showing gratitude and thanks for what the sun had done for them, as in the S-U-N had done for them, rather than just being grateful for its warmth and saying, Lord, I thank you for the sun that warms this day, which wasn't today beautiful, by the way. Rather than being grateful to God for the sun that warms the earth, they began to give their praise and their gratitude to the sun. Now, in the early stages of idolatry, and I can't wait to bring all this together tonight, but I need you to see very, very clearly why this matters to us. In the beginning of idolatry, they still believed there was only one God. But the things that that one God created deserved to be worshipped as well. And it does not take long for you to begin to change your idea of that one true living God because what you worship will eventually begin to take the place of that God that was in your life. The thing that you give most time to, instead of giving thanks to the Creator, now you're just grateful for the Son. I know this sounds so far out to us because nobody in this room has ever worshipped the Son. But can I tell you right now that the same trend is true. Whatever you give your time and your attention and your favor to, whether you want to admit it or not, it is eventually displacing the invisible things in your life and it becomes something to you that is more than just something that you're grateful for and it becomes something that you are grateful to. Oh my. There is a crossover moment in life, in the life of every person that walks in errant uh, in, in error and they move in the wrong direction it all begins by pure intention and assuming that they're doing the right thing is there anybody in here that uh, when you look back over your life if you would have done then what you wanted to do you know your life would have been a mess but aren't you thankful for clear direction aren't you thankful that God sent a preacher that God sent a camp meeting that God sent a conference God sent a revival. God sent somebody to bring you back on track. Folks, it is not that hard to get off track 
and to fall in love with other things and begin to replace them. This is not some kind of just old theology that's covered in mold, some kind of old teaching that's been put away and died with the dinosaurs. Jesus said it, but he broke it down a little more simple for us, and it's hard to kind of read through his kindness and his mercy when he said it. But he said it like this. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He said the things that you invest in the most and that you give the most time and attention to, that's really your heart. That's really what you adore. That's really what you love. So they still believed in one God, but they they thought they should worship his ministers. They thought they should worship the things that ministered to them. Now, over time, false prophets came along that were really nothing more if you read historical accounts, extra-biblical accounts, Outside of the canon of scripture, you're going to find that these men, these false prophets that were recorded, were really nothing more than charlatans. They were men that came for the increase of themselves. But to keep the momentum going about idolatry in the hearts of people. Over time, these false prophets would come and they would say to the people in prophetic words, Now God has told us that we must worship these things. Listen, it starts by assuming that God wants you to. Then the false prophet comes along and said, thus saith the Lord, this is what God wants you to do. You assume that God wanted you to worship angels. But now the Lord comes to you and says, I'm commanding you to worship angels. At some point, people get smart enough to start picking up on the idea that the sun, moon, and stars are not meeting their needs as God should. They don't deserve to be worshipped any longer. So what's the next step? You know, people aren't really dumb. People aren't really, they're not really as ignorant as we think they are. Sooner or later, people are going to catch on. And people are going to realize, I prayed to that idol and nothing happened. So how do you continue the saga? How do you continue the lie? you got to keep lying to them to tell them. So now you've told them it's God's idea. So they start by assuming. Then it moves on that you lie to them and tell them it's God's idea. After that stops working... Then you get into history, and this is what you find. Men, these same false prophets, when they lose their momentum by saying, God told me to tell you that, then they start saying, the idol itself told me to tell you. Go through history and read it. You'll find it. It blows my mind. I wish I could do this justice tonight. There's no way it'd take us eight months to get through this whole study. But it starts by assuming that's what God wants. It comes next by a false prophet saying, God told me this is what it wants. And then when that loses its grip, they say, The sun itself spoke to me. The stars appeared to me in a dream. And they begin to create things. Look through history. How did we get the shapes of idols? How did all that happen? Because there was one planet that appeared to them in the night in a dream and spoke to them. And Jupiter said, I will be worshipped. And now the God of Jupiter is worshipped. Where did they get the shape of that? From a lie from a false prophet that said, I saw the planet for sure myself. I know what it looked like because a voice spoke to me from that. And so now it's not just about God saying, The planet spoke to me. The idol spoke to me. And the idol is very angry. The idol said that you people have not been worshiping anymore. And now the idol is very, very angry. And so fear begins to set in the hearts of people. And they begin to ask the question, well, what if it's real? What if this false prophet is telling me the truth? What if the sun god becomes upset with me? And all of a sudden we wake up one day and the earth is burned up because the sun is angry with us you know you can only fool people for so long and this is what I want to tell you that I love about the word of God is that time is the enemy of falsehood time is not the enemy of truth are you hearing what I'm telling you tonight brothers and sisters truth loves time and falsehood is afraid of time because truth can stand the test of time yet falsehood is tested as time rolls on oh I want to help somebody and the fourth step is where mankind truly drifts away from the idea 
that there is one God, but it's his desire for us to worship things that he created. And believing that God spoke that and then believing that the idol spoke that. And eventually you give in for so long that now that one God that you used to believe in that was taking pleasure in what you were doing has traded places. And now that God no longer exists. And men like Abraham come onto the scene and the world is absolutely full of idolatry. What do you do when the world that you live in is so consumed with idolatry but you realize that the gods that your father Tira has made they haven't done anything for anybody the story is told and you've heard me preach this and tell it in history that uh, Abraham's father was an idol maker and the story goes is one of my favorite stories but the story goes in fast forward that one day Tira had left the uh, idol shop and had left Abraham there to watch after the shop because Tira had to deliver these idol gods to people. Now, what kind of God is that that has to be delivered to you? This is not a story in the Bible. This is an extra biblical story. This is a historical account of what it really was that churned the heart of Abraham. And the story said that when his father was gone delivering the idol, that uh, he uh, took the, that Abraham, Abram at that time, he took the shop and he wrecked it and he tore the idols down and just tore the shop apart. And when his father came in, he said, Abram, why in the world would you do this thing? And Abram looked at his father, Terah, and he said to him, I didn't do that. That idol did that. At which point his father looked at him and said, Abraham, you know better than that. That idol is nothing but fake and false. How could it tear this place up? He said, why then, father? Why are you selling these and causing other people to believe? There will come a time in somebody's life that they're going to break the tradition. You know what I'm praying? Is that the power of this church this year is going to be a tradition-breaking church. I'm believing this year that there's going to be some people that are going to wake up and say, I've been trying it my way long enough, and I'm ready to try something that'll work. So, so, so stay with me. It starts by assuming this is what God probably wants to, oh no, this is what God demands to never mind what God thinks, what does the idol think. Then history records, if you just go back and read, and I don't want to bore you with this tonight. I'm trying to keep this as shallow as I can without, without boring you to death. But listen. What do you do to make people not only love idolatry, but stay in love with idolatry and especially enough to worship idolatry? Well, over time, you're going to find out to keep them worshiping idols that if they don't do it, the only way to do it is to scare the true love of God out of them and push them towards torture. Anybody ever read history in here? Over time, people are going to catch the lie. And so you're going to have to start torturing them and martyring them and murdering them and threatening their children and telling them, if you don't worship these idols anymore, then this is how we're going to do it to your family. And you're going to stand here and watch your children burn at the stake. You're going to fall in love with these idols or else. And so over generations, men have put it in their children that if you don't love these idols and you try to worship some other God, they're going to kill you and they're going to kill our grandchildren. Let me ask you right now how long does a curse have to be on somebody before they realize that that curse doesn't have as much power as they think it does I know it's Wednesday night but I feel something special in here tonight and I want to tell somebody whether you be in this room or you're watching online tonight I know the curse breaker I know a God that is able. I believe tonight that there are things that are handed down to us from generation to generation. I believe that there are things that are known as generational curses. But I know there's enough power in the name of Jesus to break every curse, to break every chain. I don't care what your mama was. If your mother was an alcoholic, that does not have to be your story. It doesn't matter what your daddy was. That does not have to be your story. It is fear and intimidation that 
keep people locked up in chains of idolatry. But we need an Abraham moment. We need an Abram awakening that somebody will rise and say, I've watched my father. I've watched what he did and it didn't work for him. I want something real. This is why religious history is full of violence and oppressive nature. People look at religion and say religion's terrible. And it's true. Because most religion began out of revolt. Somebody revolting against true God and adapting to a new way of believing. And over time, there was like that moment where You could have the best of both worlds for just a minute. Boy, is that spirit ever prevalent? You can have just enough of God to still say, I believe in God. But just enough of the world to say, it can't hurt me right now. It's harmless. Oh, Lord Jesus. I know people don't want to believe me when I tell you this. But the scripture makes it very, very plain. That there are angels of light. Or what we should call angels of darkness. That we don't even know we've been entertaining. Can I tell you folks right now. That there are stories. uh, Throughout all of religious history of men. That have had angels show up to them. And speak to them things that began their doctrines. And began the teachings of their church. But can I remind you of what the great apostle said. He said I don't care if it's a man or an angel. If he comes preaching any other gospel to you. Then that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. I don't understand, Pastor, why the apostles were so hardcore about it and why you feel the need to preach on one God so often because it only takes one generation to forget the God that formed them and to begin to worship the things that God formed. I don't believe that, Pastor. I want some biblical understanding. Okay, go find it in the same book, in the book of Exodus. You understand what I'm saying? These these Egyptians were wild, man. They worshiped the sun god and all that other stuff, like crazy stuff. Yet, when the plagues came, Bishop, when the plagues came on the land, some of Pharaoh's servants came in and said, hey, you got to let them go because this is of God, capital. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, Lord, I don't think you want to hear me preach this. Even Egypt that was ate up with idolatry still believed that there was one God. But how long does it take before he's completely forgotten? Oh, I'm going to mess with somebody right here now. What's so sad is that even though they were living in errancy of the understanding of who God was, they still knew that he existed. Yet in the wilderness, the God that provided for them every day with manna from heaven and quail from heaven, and he provided for them a pillar of fire by day, of night and a pillar of cloud by day, it said that a generation came up in the wilderness that did not know the Lord nor the wonderful works which he had performed. It's a sad day when Egypt knows more about our God than we do. Native Americans that were here on this soil for perhaps thousands and thousands of years. They danced to the rain gods and the moon gods and the sun gods. Yet, you'll read in their literature that above all of these, there is one great spirit. Come on, Tonto. You've seen it before. This is my heritage, my father's side. The Cherokee Indians, hope there's no Blackhawks in here tonight because I don't want no war up in this house. I don't want to go fugaboo on some Comanche in here tonight. Because we are Kung Fu Cherokee. How long does it take? How long does it take? 
And so my study took me to the direction, listen, this is what I believe God's doing and God's going to use this church to do. I really do wish I had time to take this deeper. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. We've identified the steps that it took for idolatry to even become a thing. It began in the darkness of men assuming that this is what God probably wants to the thoughts that this is what God demands. And then when that's not enough, never mind God, now the idols are speaking. Don't you think for one moment the things of this world can't speak to you I'm about to make a statement that can possibly change your life. And we learn it through simple technology. We learn it from our FM radios in our car, which is outdated now. But you will hear whatever voices you're tuned into. You do realize that in this invisible air right now, in the invisible, that there are frequencies moving all over the place. But when you tap into the frequency, then you hear what's coming across the airwaves and people wonder why they're not hearing from God. Hmm. Kind of thick up in here right now. So this leads to violence and oppression and darkness. and Incredible. So we've identified the steps that bring us to idolatry. Now I'd like to just shift if I could. Because Jeremiah, the Lord spoke to Jeremiah and said, there's going to come a day that they're all going to know who I am. What does it take for a paradigm shift? We know what it took to get to idolatry. Now, what does it take to reverse that? And I feel like helping somebody in here. What was it that separated Abraham from the rest of the world? What was it that allowed Abram to hear the voice of the Creator saying to him, come out from your family, your kindred, your country? Folks, listen to what I'm telling you tonight. I don't want this to sound so far out there because this is over 4,000 years old. I want there to be a real clear understanding that these voices never change. The same God that spoke to Abram was speaking to Terah, but he could not hear. Oh, man. And Abram's commitment to God and covenant was not based on what his father did or what his father heard or did not hear. Some of us are basing, oh, Lord Jesus. We base our decisions on how it's always been. But if how it's always been is contrary to how it's supposed to be. It's irrelevant. What's that? Oh, God. What separates a guy like Abram? I'll tell you what it was. You can see this in the scripture. It doesn't say this like this, but you can see it. It's what causes him to recognize things. God speaks to Abram in interesting ways. I think Abram paid a lot of attention to the sky and he paid a lot of attention to creation because that's how God spoke to him. He said to him when he covenanted with him, he said to him, as the stars that are in the sky, right? What was God doing? What was God doing? He was bringing attention to things that people Abraham knew worshipped. He was bringing Abram's attention to things that he was familiar with other people worshiping. Worshiping the things of the earth. And the Lord speaks to him and says, even as the stars that are in the sky. That's the way your seed is going to be, as the sands of the sea. Nothing has probably ever been worshipped any more than the sky and the ocean. And the Lord speaks to him in that language and he recognizes this voice. And it causes contemplation in the heart of Abram. And now, Abram says, well, 
I see the sand. And I see the waves, Brother Gray, crashing against the sand. But who told the ocean? That's where you have to stop. I see the stars, but who made the star to shine? I understand the earth is moving, but who moves it? I I, I understand. I understand that the planets are moving, that there's movement. So why don't I just worship them for their movement? Well, because if I worship them for their movement, then I have to ask the question, who makes it move? Oh, ain't nobody trying to help me right now. I could worship the sun for its warmth, but who told that sun that this is when you set and this is when you rise? And after long, you don't have to ask too many questions before you start getting answers in your world. There is a sun, and yes, it has a job, but there was a God that gave that sun its assignment. You know what? We ought to stop being afraid of sitting down with atheistic ideologies that say two rocks collided and this is what happened. You know what? I'll sit down and talk to you about it. Let's take it a step further. That's not really the theory I believe, but do you honest to God believe that all of those millions and billions and trillions of chances are that those two rocks are going to be in the path of each other at just the right time and just the right moment? If that's your idea, then you got more faith than I do. See, we think these people are faithless. You don't understand. They're amazing when they're converted because if you believe all this that we see is just by a big collision. That's some faith right there, baby. The reason why men love stories like this is because they control the narrative. This is why people love false doctrine. Because they control the narrative. They create a God in their mind that has enough power to love them but not enough to judge them. Come on, somebody hear me tonight. So he starts asking questions. Now tonight, you and I read Exodus 20. (laughs) I heard this week, I heard this week someone say, you know, the second second commandment doesn't really bother me because I'm cool with the graven image deal. Like I don't, I'm not going to make any graven images. They said, I worry about the things that you actually have to do something like the fifth where you have to honor your father and mother. Because then you start asking the questions, did I really honor them? And so people look at the second commandment and they take it for granted. And they say, oh, okay. Make no graven images. No problem. So what do I do to correct this? I've asked the questions and I believe that there's a God somewhere out there. But how, how do I fulfill the commandment of God? Against idolatry. The first commandment. Pretty straightforward. Just don't have any other gods before me. Okay. And then the follow-up of that is just don't make any graven images. And so we, we kind of look at this and we think that the mitzvah, the commandment is fulfilled because we just refuse to say that there's any other image. And so because I've said with my mouth, well, yeah there's no other God, then I fulfilled the commandment because I have said, oh, sure, I'm not going to form a God out of stone or or, or wood, then I fulfilled the commandment. Okay, God, we're good then. I promise I won't make any idols. We're good to go. Brothers and sisters, hear pastor tonight. I'm going to be very intentional for the next five to ten minutes with you. And I want to tell you that confessing with your mouth that you don't believe in another God 
does not fulfill the, the second commandment nor the first. Here's a fact. The majority of people that you and I are going to come in contact with in, in our lives in the United States of America, even if they don't serve God, they believe in God. And they really don't believe in idols. Not really. I mean, you, you, can, you can go other places and find true idolatry, but it's getting kind of hard to find. You and I are not going to come in contact with people that really, really, really believe in idols. So there you go. Then the mitzvah is fulfilled, right? No. It is not fulfilled because they say, I don't believe in any other God, and yes, I believe in God. I don't understand, Pastor. Why is this important? Because it's modern theology that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, If you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ was died, buried, and rose again, then if you pray this prayer when you're finished, you can say, I believe Jesus come into my heart and I'm saved. Can anybody tell me a mitzvah, a commandment, a law that has been fulfilled by saying I believe? Look, it's easy for us to miss this because we disconnect the Old Testament and the New Testament. James said it like this. He said, the devils believe. But how does he open that verse up? Thou believest in one God. Thou doest well. But don't start dancing. And don't start shouting. Oh my. Because even the devils, fallen angels, they know there's one God. Oh my. So the devils believe that there's no other God, but they have not fulfilled the mitzvah. They have not fulfilled the law. They've not fulfilled the commandment. If that were a fact, that all you had to do was just believe in one God and say there are no other gods, then all you would have to do to fulfill the commandment of God is simply neglect. Oh, man. That's pretty good teaching right there, folks. You don't fulfill the law of God by just neglecting the opposite idea of it. Oh, my, my, my. Obedience is never accomplished by simply neglecting something else. If you're going to fulfill the will of God, it won't just be by what you neglect. It will be by how intentional you are about what you fulfill. Abraham did not please God just because he refused to worship the idols of his father. And here it comes. This is what I've come to teach you tonight. No other God. Somebody shout no other God. You can't just please God by saying I'm not interested in anything else. You please God by saying this can't be. This, this idol cannot be a God. You understand what I'm saying? You can't just say, no, I, I don't believe in it. And here's, here's the 21st century message parallel for you right here. Well, you just believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. We'll all find our own path to God. And when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a sign over here that says Methodist and a sign over here that says Baptist and a sign over here that says Pentecostal. We're, brother, we're all going to dance on streets of gold together. No. Oh, my goodness, Pastor, don't be judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. I'm standing on the word of God. Can I, can I tell you my candy stick right here? You guys hear me preach it all the time. It's not enough to love truth. Come on, somebody shout it at me. You must despise iniquity. It's not enough to love truth. You can't just say, I believe truth. It's not enough to believe truth. You've got to detest what is not truth. Oh, I preached a sermon in this church 
probably a little over a year ago, that I got out of my great-grandfather's Bible. I found some of his notes, Sister Doris, and he had preached a sermon called, God Hates Every False Way. It's not enough to just love what God loves, Bishop. You've got to hate what he hates. And God despises a false way. It ought to make you angry in your soul when you read the fact that creedal theology was not birthed out of scripture. It was birthed out of creed. It was birthed out of greed as well. It was birthed out of the idea that because I can't explain God and I don't want to study God and I don't want to love God, then I'll make God what I want God to be. And that God is not powerful enough to be the creator in the creation account, yet to be the redeemer in the redemption account and to be the Holy Ghost in the church account. I feel like telling you tonight that he's good enough and he's God enough to be God everywhere all the time. I am not a modalist. I don't believe that he's got to stop being the creator to be the redeemer. Oh, I wish I could preach up in here tonight. I was offended when I was labeled as a modalist. And I'm not going into a study of modalism tonight. But you've heard it preached often. Father and creation, son and redemption, Holy Spirit in the church. Yes. But he doesn't have to stop being any of those at any time. Because he's always my father and he's always good. But he's always ready to redeem. And he's always ready. Oh, Jesus. He's always ready to comfort us as the spirit of the living God. Do you understand what I'm telling you? You cannot define him by man's ability. You cannot take something that is infinite and try to bind him up with a finite way of thinking. He is God enough to be God all the time, everywhere, and never stop being God. In order to fulfill the second commandment, it must be clear and logically conclusive that whatever you say you don't believe in, it's not that you just don't believe in it, it's that it cannot be. So let me break it down like this in closing. The fulfillment of the second commandment can only come to pass when you have clear understanding of the first commandment. You cannot enter into the second commandment fulfillment until you just settle it in your heart, period. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I want you to know tonight, FPC, that we are not going to go to heaven because we believe in one God. We are not going to go to heaven because we've been baptized in Jesus' name. This is going to sound really, really strong tonight. We are not going to go to heaven because we spoke in other tongues. You're going to go to heaven. When you realize that there's no other way to be baptized than in Jesus' name. You're going to go to heaven when you realize the reason I believe in one God, Sister Kelly, is because that's all there is. I don't just believe in receiving the Spirit because God gave me this cool gift and I get to speak in tongues. No, no, no. You are saved when you realize... There's no other way than to be filled with his spirit. Man, I know I wish I could preach on this Wednesday night. It is not enough to just go along with it because you heard it preached. You've got to get convinced in your heart. There is no other way. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, we still believe it. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. We believe it. Let's stand together tonight.
For behold, I will this once cause him to know. I will cause him to know mine hand and my might. And they shall know that my name is the Lord. Pastor, why didn't you spend more time tonight in the New Testament talking about Jesus? Well, because I'm afraid that we quote-unquote New Testament Christians need to realize that the only thing they had to teach in the New Testament was the Old Testament. And until Isaiah 9 and 6 starts making sense to you, then John chapter 1 doesn't mean anything. Isaiah 9 and 6? Anybody want to shoot it at me tonight? For unto us, a child is born... And his name, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. You can't jump off in the New Testament trying to prove who Jesus is until you settle it in your heart. God don't need any help being God. He is God. Somebody shout this with me. No other God. No other God. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Somebody shout no other God. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The only true living God, no other God beside him. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was was priest unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's why I've got no problem with the Son of God being God manifest in the flesh. Would you praise him for the revelation of who he is tonight? Come on, somebody. When you've settled it in your heart, there's only one God. Then you have to understand that Jesus Christ does not sit at the right hand of the Father. It's an anthropomorphism. It's not a second seat. It's not a second place. It is God Almighty who redeemed us and sat down at the throne. I got, I got to close. I'm done. But it just makes more sense to you if you, settle, if you just settle it in your heart, period. There's no other God. Then you don't have questions as to who it is John saw when he saw one seated on the throne. Because there's only one throne. If we had time, we'd jump off in it tonight. Daniel, I love it. Daniel saw the same vision. Theologians talk about it all the time, that it's the same exact vision. Daniel looked into the heavens. John looked into the heavens. Daniel looked up and he saw the throne. He saw hair like wool, eyes like fire. Go read it for yourself. It's in Daniel. Daniel sees hair like wool, eyes like fire. And he says, oh, it's the ancient of days. John, in Revelation, he sees the hair like wool, eyes like fire. And he said, is that the son of man? What Daniel called the ancient of days, John called the son of man. I feel like telling you tonight, there's only one God, and we know his name. Somebody shout his name. Somebody shout his name. That's why there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. (laughs) 
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for your word tonight, Lord. I thank you that it's forever settled in heaven. May you tonight settle in the hearts of men and women. May there be no contradiction or vacillation in our spirits tonight as to what you have spoken to us. May it be rock-solid, concrete evidence that we should have no other God before you and anything that we make a graven image. It cannot be God because you are the only God. You are the living God. Beside you there is none. Above you, Rebeshe Telebo Rakasha. Above you, Elobo Shandahaya. There is none. Beneath you, there is none. You are the Savior of the world. You are the creator of all things. And it's in you tonight, Lord, that we live and we move and we have our being. And we bless your holy name. In the mighty, matchless, incomparable name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray. Let the church shout amen and give the Lord a shout of praise. Come on, lift him on high tonight, church. Lift him on high tonight, church.